Hello, this is Jaden Sancho. You're listening to Yellow Wall Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 292 of the Yellow Wallpots. I'm your host Stefan Butzko and this week we will talk about Borussia Dortmund's 4-0 win over Bayer Leverkusen and the scoreless night in the Champions League against FC Barcelona. And later on we will be joined by Brian Sanders from the Hey Eintracht Frankfurt podcast to, you guessed it, preview Sunday's game at the Commerzbank Arena. And to discuss all that and more, join me Matthias Zug. Hello Matthias. Hello, Stefan. Greetings from sunny Aspen. Yes, uh, if uh, Matthias sounds like he is connected via phone, that's because he is. Uh, he is right now on the 4G <laughs> instead of, uh, uh, you know, on his usual studio mic. So apologies if the sound quality isn't well, but how how is the weather in Aspen? Uh, it's sunny, 72 degrees Fahrenheit, and obviously now someone has to run a circular saw. At the same time, so you know everything as usual. <laughs> All right, for I hope which will be better sound quality from Berlin. He is also with me, Luca Giel. Hello, Luca. How are you doing? Hey, Stefan. I'm doing good. How about you? Very well myself. It's uh, very nice to have you on here. And uh, yeah, this episode is not sponsored by anyone, and uh, that means we can jump straight to the action on. Saturday in the afternoon game, Borussia Dortmund, yeah, shellacked by a Leverkusen for nothing. Um, it, it was quite the performance, and I would say it was also an expected game because against Peter Bosch's team, Borussia Dortmund once again had fewer possession. So, um, Luca, do you think the for nothing win was justified? Um, maybe a goal <laughs> or so too much. <laughs> um, I don't, I'm, I'm kind of torn on the performance and now all the, the Barcelona game kind of overshadows it all. But, um, yeah, they kind of ran rapid in the end and then Leverkusen were just all over the place, which was kind of a throwback to Bosch at Dortmund, at least in the end. But uh, overall, a good game. I think maybe one or two goals too many for Dortmund. Yeah, I don't know if I would disagree because Leverkusen really fell apart in the end and you have to account for that. Um, Matthias, same question to you. This or, or not same question, but this was the first game for Dortmund where they actually could unleash their counterattack. Uh, it wasn't really happening for them against either Augsburg, Köln, or uh, Union Berlin. So um, this was the first time Dortmund could maybe play a little bit more on the back foot. How much did you like that? Well, I tend to not really like playing on the back foot. I like to be the team that dictates the tempo, but it did. Leverkusen played perfectly into Dortmund's hands, played completely to their strengths. Yeah, they had a lot of possession, didn't really do much of anything with it. So who cares? It's, uh, it's like watching Hoffenheim play right now. Um, 
So I, I mean, is four nil maybe a little bit too much? Uh, a little flattering? I don't know. Uh, Leverkusen got punished for basically not really doing much but having the ball. And uh, Thomas Delaney once again proved why he's the greatest player in Bundesliga history. <laughs> as we so often mentioned, have uh, as we have so often mentioned on this podcast, of course, we um, we love him on here. We love him. Yes. No, but in all seriousness, um, there were a couple of things um, that happened in in both games. I would say uh, that usually um, do not uh, <laughs> work out so well for Dortmund. At least haven't in the past, but. Um, Luca, we've seen now the fullback pairing twice in a row um, of Rafael Guerrero as left back and Rafa Kinmi as right back. And I would say that actually works quite well, especially if you have Delaney and Witzel in midfield. Um, how do you see Guerrero playing as left back? And do you think that these two will be the or should be the first pick for Favre going forward now in uh, certain games? Uh, you forgot to mention that it also works quite well when you have Matsumoto playing center back, who's playing like the best player on earth right now. Obviously, um, <laughs> only a slight. I, 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 I left it to you, Luca. I didn't okay. forget about it. <laughs> oh, only slightly exaggerating that. Um, yeah, I was. I, I think I, I tweeted the other day that I'm happy when Favre is forced into making a good decision and playing uh, Guerrero and and Hakimi at the same time is definitely a good decision because both they are probably like apart from Moray who um yeah hopefully will be back from injury soon they're the best football players we have at fullback um Pishek obviously great guy but he's just getting older and older and Nico Schultz shows that he's limited um kind of Nagelsmann kind of covered that but not anymore. So they're the best football players you have, at least on the offensive side. Um, the, the worry obviously with Guerrero is always how will he play defensively. And that looked pretty good against Leverkusen as well as Barcelona. So the, I think that's something to go forward with, um, that pairing. It's just too, like, there are too many up, it's, it's the upside offensively is just too big to, you know, turn that down basically. Yeah, I would, I would very much agree with that. Um, Matthias, do do you have a explanation why Rafael Guerrero suddenly looks so good at left back? Do you think it's just as as Luca uh, mentioned the the factor of of Mats Hummels, or do you think um, that that would be too easy and maybe there's uh, some credit going to Lucio Favre for fixing that maybe a little throughout the months? Well, I think obviously they worked maybe a little bit with him having Mats Hummels next to him. Obviously gives him a lot of cover. Also, the players ahead of him when it's Delaney and Vitsa, there's a lot of cover there as well. And, you know, I think about that match in particular, when you had Sancho on Guerrero's side, the opposition always has to account for what to do with Sancho. So that also, indirectly at least, gives Guerrero some cover because they can't go all out if there's a quick transition to Sancho, you're going to get burned every time. So I think all of that kind of plays plays together. And, and the fact that, you know, things have kind of calmed down around him when it comes to transfers and wanting to leave. And, but the key thing with him will just be how long can he remain healthy? Because obviously that, that's been an issue over the last couple of seasons. Yeah, Rafael Guerrero already had a muscular injury this season. So yeah, as you mentioned, that's, 
a very valid concern. Um, but yeah, maybe maybe shift a little bit to to the right from Guerrero and a bit forward and and talk about Thomas Delaney because I thought he was excellent in the past two games. Luca, um, I personally think that games against Leverkusen and Barcelona are really perfect for Thomas Delaney, but in other games, I'd rather not see him on the on the field. Um, however, um, especially against Leverkusen, um, it, it worked out pretty well. How do you think that uh, Favre's decision influenced the game for you know putting Delaney on Kai Havertz to? I don't know if it was man marking, but it was a very close leash. Yeah, heads off to Favre. I'm obviously not his biggest fan, but um, that was extremely smart to take off, um, take basically Leverkusen's best player out of the game. Um, we saw in the end when Harvard's fouled, I think, was it Hakimi? Um, pretty like, uh, yeah, pure frustration. Uh, just kicked him when he was running across the field. You basically Delaney just took all the fun out of the game for him. And that's, that's what he's best at. I mean, Dortmund had, I don't know, like 30 something percent of the ball and, uh, were like chasing Leverkusen all over the pitch. And that's, that's where Delaney, um, excels at. And that's his best, best skill. Like you said, the games against Barcelona, against Leverkusen, apparently now who, who want to have the ball now. Also maybe against Bayern. Those are made for Delaney and he's a great role player in those games, but, we are, can, we also saw against Union that he might not be the perfect player for those kind of games. So it's always tricky with Delaney and also with Favre because Favre tends to just stick to the players who played the game before. And there's not much like rotation going on, uh, depending on whoever the opponent is. And that's going to be interesting going forward, even against Frankfurt now, whether Delaney st stays in midfield because yeah, you don't have like much of a reason to change it because he did so well the last few games, but he also might not fit the opponent. Um, yeah, like he did the last two. So that's going to be interesting watching it yeah, for, that going being, forward. That, that being said, if we think about the Frankfurt game or, or going forward and, um, especially if you have Guerrero and uh, Hakimi as, as fullbacks, and, and I would say two fullbacks that can bring on creativity and both can, tuck to the inside and I think both have shown that um I don't know if it was Dortmund's 2-0 or 3-0 um I think it was the 3-0 that Guerrero scored himself which he started by dribbling through the midfield um so so keeping that in mind do you think it, it's likelier that Favre will stick with the Delaney Witzel double pivot because he knows there's more creativity on the fullback positions because um the the problem the big Biggest problem in my book in the first games uh, was that Dortmund's fullbacks got isolated by the opponent and then there was no way to go through the middle, but they sort of seem to have solved that now, at, at least for two games. Yeah, they, they didn't solve that. Like technically, they just put better players on there, basically. Um, yeah, basically, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's always like the X factor when you have Guerrero on there because um, it, it, it has been a problem at Dortmund for like a long time that in the first phase of the build-up game, the, the ball gets to the fullbacks pretty quickly, and then they don't know what to do with it because you have another defender in the in the touchline, and uh, it's really easy to be like isolated out there. But Guerrero somehow 
often finds ways to get out of there. He often he also turns off uh, turns over the ball sometimes, and it like creates pretty dangerous situations for the opponents. But most of the time, it works. And going back to your question, yeah, I think. Like knowing Favre, I don't think he'll change unless there's something happened we don't know about, like injury or they're just a bit tired after the games. But I think there's one week off after this game, so I think he'll stick with Delaney and Fitzo for now. Yeah, I be- I believe so too. Um, Matthias, how did you see Mats Hummels against Leverkusen? And uh, then also I-, I would like to get your take on, on Julian Brandt against his former side. Well, I mean, starting with the positive, uh, Mats Hummels, uh, it's like he never left. Uh, it's it's like you're going, I'm not quite sure why Löw decided to not let him play anymore or Bayern let him leave. He played extremely well, uh, dominated that match and the following match, and, and it seems like he's back in his old groove um, with good passing, good positional play, And given how Dortmund set up against Leverkusen and then also Barcelona, it did help that they weren't pushing quite as high up. So his slightly diminished pace, which was never <laughs> great, uh, really didn't get exploited. So that was it, it played to his strengths. I mean, it, both matches played to Dortmund's strengths. Absolutely. Now, Julian Brandt was a little disappointing and maybe it was, you know, playing against your old team again. I thought uh, the the abuse he got from the Leverkusen supporters was uh, extraordinarily childish. But, you know, what are you going to say? It's football fans aren't necessarily known for not being childish. Well, Matsumis could attest to that after reading about one billion snack emojis from Borussia Dortmund fans in the past three years. So um, <laughs> <laughs> not looking at anyone, Luca. Um, <laughs> I never, I never sent any emojis. I just made memes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> same thing basically. Um, yeah, but uh, nevertheless, even even if Lu- uh, Julian Brandt didn't have the best game, uh, it, it was enough for Dortmund to create four goals. Um, I think the the first one was actually quite nice and and sort of typical for this game, because I thought the first half overall was quite chaotic and I think Dortmund uh, made the best and, and utilized this chaos that, that ensued in midfield with a lot of uh, you know interceptions here here and there and uh, yeah it was Hakimi who intercepted the ball when Leverkusen were just trying to transition forward and painted it right back in, into Alcázar who, who tucked it away um, and yeah that, that, that was really great and of course then uh, Maybe one of the best moments of Alcázar without him actually touching the ball, the, the 2-0 right after the break, um, when uh, I think Jaden Sancho just received the ball on the on the right from Akanji, also another transition moment, and uh, squared it. And Alcázar then with a really amazing dummy for Marco Reus to score. I don't know if it was his first goal, but uh, felt like it past uh, Khaditsky. Um So, Matthias... I think we have to talk a little bit about Marco Royce too after after this game. How I mean, <laughs> in the context of the Barcelona game, things already look a little bit different yet again. But uh, how important do you think were those two goals finally for him in in the Bundesliga? 
Well, it gets them going. It obviously confidence is a big deal for any attacking player. Uh, they're so form and confidence driven, and as such, he was able to to really show why he was arguably probably the best player for for Dortmund over the course of the entirety of last season. And, you know, against Barcelona, let's just say he didn't have his greatest day. <laughs> uh, not that luck necess- wasn't necessarily there for him that day. Uh, but we'll get into that again in a minute. But uh, it seemed to all click for him. And again, can't stress it enough. It's almost like Bosch forgot his time at Dortmund, like most of us try. <laughs> um, and he forgot what the strengths are of a player like Marco Royce, and it just, it, it was, it, I'm not going to say it was easy, no Bundesliga match is easy, um, but he sure made it look easy at times. Well, the thing is, I I believe that had Leverkusen actually scored one of their two chances they had before Dortmund made it 2-0 or, or, or 3 even, uh, I, I think this game could have taken a completely different direction. We all know that goals change games, but since Leverkusen, you, you know, were their usual selves away to Dortmund and choked, uh, that didn't happen. But Luca, same question to you. Were you surprised by Peter Bosch's tactics? I mean, what, what was he thinking playing that way in Dortmund? Is it just his stubbornness or, or why would you play with Leverkusen like you play there? In, at the Westfalenstadion? I mean, honestly, I don't think it was that bad. Um, like, <laughs> at least looking looking at it until the 2-0. Um, obviously, goals not only change games, but they also change perception of the game when you watch it. But um, I watched it after the fact because I couldn't watch it live, so I already knew the resu- result and could concentrate on how, how the game was going. And Leverkusen controlled most of the phases. Yeah, most of the passes went that like into those dangerous areas and they passed around in the back a lot, but they had a few good chances. I think uh, I forgot who was through on goal cleanly. Might have been Belarabi or something, but I forgot uh, pretty quickly after the half. And, uh, they had, they had a few good situations. Just the last pass was missing basically. And I don't think the setup was that bad. I'm not sure. If Leverkusen can be a team that sits just, you know, sits deep like Union does or something like that, I don't think they have the players for that. Um, so it was worth a try. And then obviously it makes it worse that they just fell apart in the end. If it's, if it's a 2-0 loss against Dortmund, nobody really bats an eye in Dortmund. It's just the two goals in the end make it look worse than it actually was, I think. Yeah, I mean, in the preview episode, we talked a little bit about the in-game coaching, and I believed then that the game would probably be decided in the second half. And yeah, I guess the result dictated the decision of Peter Bosch. He explained it himself after the game at the press conference that, uh, you know, it was his decision to bring on more attacking players and, and to, you know, chase the result. And that opened up Leverkusen even more. And I think, um, he, tellingly said that at the end of the game they weren't even a team anymore you know it was just this incohesive from Leverkusen so um yeah that's that's pretty poor but um we've seen it so many times from Peter Bosch that it's not surprising and Bayer Leverkusen I guess uh have shown that maybe if they want to 
become, you know, win, win the Bundesliga or whatever, that there's still something missing individually and also tactically from that team. But I'm, I'm sure they will have a very good run for the Champions League spots. I don't know if it will be the very top, but that doesn't really matter uh, to us, at least it doesn't. Um, Matthias, what do you think this win means for, for the Bundesliga and also uh, Leipzig, I think, drew 1-1 against Bayern, which was also pretty exciting and, and also a very uh, high-level game. Um, do you think that Dortmund can turn things around in the Bundesliga again after that first loss? Well, yeah. I mean, there's still a lot of football left to play. I think it shows that, um, you know, Leipzig especially in the first half against Bayern, uh, showed that they're not as completely perfect yet <laughs> as as it certainly seemed in the first few matches. And Bayern is there to drop points quite often this season, I believe. It's just a, mount, a matter of Leipzig and then in particular now with Dortmund to try to keep pace. You know, if For, for a match lost, instead of replacing it with just one point, but you replace it with a victory, and at the same time, the other guys drop points, uh, that, that plays out. And it's a huge confidence boost because Leverkusen are a good side. Um, you know, a side that can compete for the Champions League spots, or the Champions League spot. I think there's only going to be one available for everybody else to fight over. Um, so... I think uh, it shows just how unpredictable the season probably will be. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> probably right. Uh, I feel like there's going to be a lot of uh, unforeseen stuff happening. Also, from a Dortmund perspective, uh, the uh, loss against Union Berlin. I don't know if you want to call it completely unforeseen because Dortmund have uh, lost in that sort of fashion before, but... Uh, I thought they were over it, but uh, they were not. Maybe going forward, they are. Who knows? Um, but yeah, any any final thoughts uh, from that Leverkusen game, Luca? Maybe uh, quickly. Do you agree with the assessment that Jaden Sancho right now isn't playing at his very best, but still usually manages to, you know, have to score a point or two? I think it was another two assists in this game. Yeah, it's the Usman Bele uh, syndrome. Um, basically doing the same thing, playing badly for the entire game and then still creating like three goals. Um, <laughs> I said after the game that Brandt basically played exactly like Sancho, but just the moments of brilliance were missing for him. Um, and just one quick assessment on what it says about the Bundesliga. The problem with Dortmund is not the games against like the top six or so. The problem is the, are the games against the bottom, I would say five to 10 teams. And, um, I don't, I didn't see that, that much from the Leverkusen game that would encourage me in thinking we'll have a better game plan or have a better strategy than we had against Union. They still struggled on the ball whenever Leverkusen put pressure on them or when, or when Leverkusen sat deeper. And I mean, as, As good as it is to just sit deep because Leverkusen could, couldn't do anything with the ball, but whenever Leverkusen put pressure on them, they lost the ball basically. And the build-up play was still, yeah, not that great except for a few, um, situations, which luckily led to goals a few times. And then the game was decided basically. But, uh, yeah, I'm still hesitant to really go 
all out on the title challenge thing because I think the games against the lesser teams who will either like do a man marking scheme really high up the pitch or just sit deep will still be a huge challenge for Dortmund under Favre. Yeah, I agree. But I think after the last two games, it's really good news that at least they don't seem to struggle that severely against really good teams. Um, because yeah. <laughs> if you, if you also struggle against the really good teams, then you sort of struggle against everyone. And that's, uh, that would, that would be really bad news. Um, I mean, a couple of positives that uh, sort of transition because they, they count for both, both games. But I thought that, uh, for first time in a long time, um, Dortmund in, in such a game actually found a very good mix of, of counter pressing, when to press and when not to press. Mm -hmm. Um, especially, uh, I would highlight Axel Witzel here, who sometimes pressed really high and is something that's possible because right now he is fit and wasn't possible toward the end of last season because he was so fatigued. And so that means, uh, Lucien Favre really has to find a way to give him rests every now and then because um this is uh very important for Dortmund to have a good counter pressing scheme overall the cohesiveness worked in those two games but um yeah especially with Axel Witzel sometimes uh leading the fray if you will um it it adds a little bit because uh, it's it's much harder to play around Axel Witzel when he presses you than than other players even though he's not the fastest but he's just very good at it so um that that's uh, a point I, I wanted to make real quick because um yeah I thought um if we talk about Dortmund's transition and and how they scored the goals I think their counter pressing actually plays a part in that so um there's that and uh, quickly I thought Manuel Akanji had two good games again and um Luca I think you tweeted that that his hips were repaired or whatever to that <laughs> extent <laughs> He looks like he has hips again, yeah. Yeah, something like yeah. that. He had like one mistake in the Leverkusen match which led, which led to a big chance um, and one minor mistake against Barcelona, but that's a huge improvement. And obviously he also benefits from having Hummels playing like he does next to him. But it's good that he is kind of stable now and gets better and better, hopefully with every game. Yeah, and then uh, lastly, I think maybe the highlight of the game that didn't happen during the game was uh, Dortmund thanking Borussia Dortmund fans for uh, their, you know, vocal protests against neo-Nazis that uh, were gathered and had a little demonstration at the Platz an der Sonne oder Sonnenplatz, which is uh, by the Möllerbrücke. So um, that that was very nice. Dortmund used the new OLED uh, banners that are, are you know, on, on the upper tier now, and yeah, sent out a little thank you message. I I think it's important that you really yeah name and shame people that way, and that the club uh, acknowledges what's happening around them. And uh, yeah, I I thought that that was a very smart thing to do by the club and. Uh, something that we here can only encourage. So, uh, yeah, kudos to Dortmund for uh, thanking their fellow fans in the fight against Nazis in Dortmund, which sadly is a problem. And, uh, yeah, I don't know how to transition out to the Barcelona game, <laughs> but uh, 
I, I will have to because um, that's what we have to talk about next. Um, Matthias, before we dive into the match itself, um, I, I would like you to speak a little bit about A, the atmosphere and B, that little choreo, which was quite amazing. Well, I mean, it's uh, was it the first time Barcelona came to the Vespange? I don't know if I remember correctly. Um, and when a, a club like that comes, Dortmund supporters over the last 10 or so years in particular have always risen to the occasion. Um, and I know there was a little, or I know in retrospect that prior to the uh choreography going up there's a little bit of uncertainty uh in the fan scene if if it would come off um i'm not quite sure why exactly but i i, I did read that and hear about that but obviously it, it worked it impressed everybody again uh, the commentators were impressed the international press once again was in awe of the atmosphere at the Westfalenstadion, uh, which never, ever disappoints, in my opinion, uh, especially on big occasions and against big clubs. So, uh, yeah, it, it uh, Dortmund showed itself on and off the pitch from its best side um, uh, this, this week. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, I have to say it's pretty impressive, uh, the video that Matt Ford from Deutsche Welle tweeted from, from that little uh, confetti choreo, I think has by now amassed 5 million views. So um, that's that's uh, for social media. If you want to measure it that way, that's actually quite the feat. So um, that, that shows just how successful and how well received this, this choreo was. I fully agree with you. Um, Luca, How how did you like it that Dortmund fans really uh, whistled Barcelona for almost the entire game whenever Blaugrana had the ball? It seems to have worked, so <laughs> yeah, good. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, I don't know, I don't. Uh, it's it's probably like I, I would prefer it over just singing the same song every every time for like 10 minutes it's more related to the game and what's actually happening i know a few people didn't like it but i thought it was uh yeah a good way to basically underline the the dortmund's pressing it was like a pressing with 11 11 players instead of uh, with, with 12 players instead of 11 yeah i definitely liked it um and I mean, after the 19 minutes, I have to say, I also really liked the the game between the two sides. I think it was on a really high level and was very enjoyable. Obviously, not uh, <laughs> not satisfying uh, in, in the end because Dortmund easily should have won this game with all the chances they had. Um, but Matthias, let's start from the start. Um, one change to the lineup. Torgen Hazard played instead of Julian Brandt. On the left wing, do you think that was the correct decision by Favre? Uh, I don't know. I mean, aside from a few moments, I'll be brutally honest. I didn't really notice Azar that much, <laughs> uh, to, to be totally honest. So Brandt or Azar, eh, I, I, it's not the difference maker. You know, I, as far as giving Bond maybe, I don't know, time to think about it or just a rotation 
which I think is always shocking when Favre does any form of rotation, especially because he didn't rotate anybody else, and I don't expect much rotation ahead of the weekend. Um, I, I didn't really see much of an impact. Maybe I missed it. Uh, maybe it was more subtle than than obvious, but uh, I don't really have a huge opinion on that other than maybe it's just a rotational decision. Yeah, fair enough. So uh, let's talk about that first half, Luca. I think the first 10 to 15 minutes, Dortmund actually started out quite well, but then Barcelona took over and had a lot of possession and also created a lot of set pieces. Um, how did you see that first half? What was good? What was not so good from either side? Yeah, um, they made Barcelona look like Leverkusen for a second. Um, <laughs> so uh, I think, first of all, I think the change from Brandt to Hazard was also defensively largely, I think. Uh, Hazard is a much better defender, I would say, and a much more willing defender. <laughs> Um, that's usually the knock on Julian Brandt, so I think that was a smart change. Um, and then the match was extremely interesting, how like a football match can, for no apparent reason whatsoever, there was no huge tactical change, nothing really changed, but it's, it's, it had weird phases, this game. Like you said, the first 10 to, I don't know, 15 minutes, Dortmund were the better team, uh, had, had a lot of the ball looked threatening at times then Barcelona for some reason took over and then before the half Dortmund got better again and it just throughout the entire game basically it changed all the time um it looked like whenever like I don't know like if basketball didn't have a shot clock something like that all one team just had, was in on the attack for 10 minutes or so and then the other team got uh, the chance to attack for like 10 minutes it was uh, kind of weird in that way but also thoroughly uh, enjoyable i would say yeah what's what is uh, something that probably holds true for both teams is that they can uh, press pretty well and also retain the ball pretty well and and that sort of in interchanged um i think in the in the first half You know, my biggest criticism was in, in the end that Dortmund's ball retention was just lacking. Uh, they, when, when Barcelona pressed them, they lost it immediately. I thought they were a bit too hasty. Uh, <laughs> I actually agreed with Lucien Favre and his uh, mantra of, of staying patient a little bit there because, uh, yeah, like 20 minutes, 25 minutes in, whenever Dortmund had a torn, turnover, they tried to immediately rush it forward and, uh, that, Yielded uh, in in loss of possession and and helped Barcelona to um yeah actually keep the pressure on so I I didn't think that was the smartest way but of course uh, that completely changed after the second uh, after the break and in the second half Dortmund I think for the first uh, I think until the 80th minute or so had at least 50% possession sometimes more sometimes less so that was uh, immensely impressive. Um, Matthias, is this for, for, for Dortmund maybe the biggest takeaway in such a game? Minus that, uh, they, they could have obviously won it, but, uh, just the, the maturity they showed? Well, yeah. I mean, that was something that impressed me also from the Leverkusen match. That was a very mature, uh, level headed performance. And, and that definitely was the case also against Barcelona where you can eat, easily be overwhelmed the second Messi shows up 
but uh, thankfully the internet showed how Messi really didn't do much, <laughs> uh, as as we also tweeted out. Um, it, it was, you know, but I have to say I'm not overly surprised. I mean, if we look back at the victory against Atletico Madrid last season at home in the Champions League, that was also a very mature performance. Way more goals, obviously, because there were some. Uh, even though I would say Dortmund looked more comfortable in this match against Barcelona and may have deserved a few more goals versus the way it played out against Atletico last season. Yeah, Luca, you've been a bit critical about the title race and, and, and uh, you know, Dortmund probably still struggling. But to me, actually, this this could be the, the biggest factor for Dortmund why I, in, in the end, disagree and say there might actually be a title race on the cards for Dortmund and, and maybe even uh, go all the way. Because if you look at this team, you have uh, a lot of veterans with, with Hummels, with uh, Witzel, with Delaney, Royce. And I think Hazard is also not the not the youngest anymore. You can say the same for Alcázar and uh, you know Julian Brandt certainly also has a lot of experience already. So I I feel like something uh, um, that was already quite okay last season, but but needs some improvement. Dortmund is guided with with Hummels. I feel like they won't feel the nerves too many times this season. To be honest, I don't think the the performance against Union Berlin has to replicate itself too many times. So um, I don't know how, how you see this, but I, I think the, the age factor and, and the maturity that Dortmund can show uh, should be a very positive factor going forward. Yeah, it's definitely one aspect. I, I'm not sure if nerves were really the problem last season. Um, I, I just felt, I just felt like, I just felt like they were more, they were luck, just luckier in the first half of the season. And then luck kind of ran out. And well, there were more individual mistakes in the, in the, that's record, true. especially toward the end. And I, I, yeah. I think that's down more to, to nerves than anything else. That could think, be. Yeah. I mean, we, we could. don't know for sure. Obviously we don't play the games, but, uh, no. could also be just tiredness or that. Yeah. But yeah, that's, that's a fair point, especially in Munich. Uh, yeah, I would agree on that. Uh, <laughs> the problem I, I still see is that, um, the, the problem of ball progression against teams like Union and Hummels does help there. And we created a lot, a lot of chances there, but, um, the, I, I would still like, you know, a guy like Gunnar or someone in midfield. Uh, yeah, that's I was just going to say, I think if, yeah. we, if we talk about these sort of games and ball progression, it's probably just that Julian Weigel um, next to Axel Witzel is probably not the best to have there. Or, De or Delaney. Or, yeah. yeah, yeah, you need someone with a bit more verticality. That is that is true. And I think it's the job of, of Michael Sorg to, to find someone who can do that. Um, I'll play Brandt there. No. Yeah, well, that. Uh, but so far that might we be a problem seen... defensively. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, th then again, against at least the minnows, you can do that. But uh, anyway, doesn't concern us right now because we're talking about a nice <laughs> game against Barcelona. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> here we are, um, Matthias. There, there was sort of a duel between two German internationals, uh, Mark Andre testing against Marco Reus. Um, sort of the the biggest fight. Uh, why did testing etch it in the end? 
Uh, well, uh, because Löw and now in retrospect, Uli Hoen has pissed him off. Um, uh, well, I mean, Testegen is, in my opinion, and opinion of a lot of people, probably the best German keeper right now uh, and over the last few seasons. But he's just really, really good. And, and, and Marco Reus is really good. And it's not like, you know, when we think about that first really big opportunity that Testegen saved... It's not like Royce fluffed his lines. He played it perfectly. He played it where he had to. And Testegen played it perfectly and saved the way he had to. I mean, it was just two extremely good players doing exactly what they needed to do. And then even the penalty miss. Yeah, could obviously Royce could have shot it a little bit better because then he would have scored. But at the same time, it was a really good save. And the recovery to make sure that there was no follow-in was also really good. And then also against uh, Paco. And, I mean, numerous times, Marc-André Testing showed why he should be the number one for Germany. And everything that's been happening, I think, does fuel him, does motivate him. And playing in Germany uh, against Dortmund, he probably would have been even, even better if it would have been against Bayern, uh, given who would have been on the other side. So I think... Uh, you know, talk about strikers having or attacking players being a bit of a head game and streaky. Keepers is even more so. And and he definitely was very motivated to get it done. Yeah, I I, I agree. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, you, you could just uh, sense what an amazing goalkeeper Marc-André Testegen is. And uh, maybe it helped that he knows Marco Royce from the past. I, I don't know uh, who, who uh, is favored by something like that. Um, but yeah, Luca, how did you feel when you, uh, saw the expected goals in the end? I think it was like 3.34 to Barcelona's, I don't know, 17 or so. I don't have it right in front of me, but, uh, it was actually quite negligible. The, the, um, expected goals that, uh, Barcelona created from shots. And I think the, the only true chance I can remember was Suarez from uh, a narrow angle going for the near post with, which Spurky saved this time. Um, and if, if you want maybe the, the chance from Messi at the very end, but that shot was obviously blocked by Thomas Delaney. Um, so let me in into your world of emotion when you, uh, discovered that expected goal chart. It was expected. Um, <laughs> oh, sorry. Um, yeah, it's obviously not a perfect metric, but kind of replicated or kind of, um, yeah, showed how the game went, I would say. Uh, Barcelona had a lot of the ball, but like Leverkusen didn't create much from it. I think that's also a problem they have had not only against Dortmund, but against other teams this season. I think not, not few Barcelona fans want their coach out, so. It's a problem they've had, so it's it was a, a smart approach not to like try and have the majority of the ball against Barcelona, but to keep them to like zero point something expected goals was pretty impressive nonetheless. Even if a sixteen-year-old played in the beginning and Messi only played thirty minutes and was injured, that's still impressive against Barcelona. And I think a lot of it was down to Matsumos that, uh, that was absolutely insane. Like, um, every time I looked up and the ball was cleared, it was because Matsumos was in the way. And, uh, I've, like, one of the 
best performances I've seen him play, period. I, I would say well, one of the best matches I've seen him play. Yeah, I would agree. Um, Matthias, I think it's safe to say this was a world-class performance, right? Yeah, I mean, it's right up there with, I would say, probably his first season at Bayern. Obviously, uh, the World Cup season and the last eh, two, three seasons at Dortmund. I mean, it's he turned back the clock, showed complete dominance um, in the air, on the ground. His positioning was great. His anticipation. That's one of the things people, I think, uh, underestimate with defenders is his ability to anticipate where the opposition is going to play. And he did that so many times that he stepped forward at right the right moment to intercept the pass. And it was really impressive. Yeah, he he sort of has perfected the timing to steal the ball when the when the attacker just is about to receive it and, and tries to have a first touch and, and turn around or whatever uh, exactly in that moment where the attacker doesn't really see where the defender is. Uh, Hummels is there to just snatch it and... That's just super impressive. I mean, uh, I was I was pretty floored by this performance. I, I have to honestly say. Um, I mean, I I knew that Hummels could do that. We we all know that, but it's it's still impressive to see it throughout the game. And I felt like I didn't really want to see say anything throughout the ninety minutes, not to jinx him. <laughs> but uh, no, he actually managed to to play completely mistake free for for the ninety minutes. Um, Uh, Sky, I think, said that he uh, had 100% of the tackles, but uh, Hummels himself said that there was maybe one instance where, where Suarez beat him. But uh, yeah, I think he had seven interceptions or so. Uh, just just crazy. Uh, yeah, just just an amazing performance. And uh, we have to say, you know, it's it's been quite consistent, actually. I don't think Hummels has been, you know, bad or, or Sapao or anything. So far this season, I, I thought consistently he has been always in in each game one of Dortmund's best players. So um, yeah, it's it's good to see him, um, yeah, res respond to whatever is thrown at him with the performances. And uh, today at the news conference before the Frankfurt game, Favre also said that he totally deserves um, to be called up for the German national team. Uh, obviously, not his call, and. Michael Sorg said that uh, he said that Mats Hummels is the best German defender when Dortmund sides him. He says it today and he says he'll probably say it again in 2020. So, um, yeah, just just very impressive. Um, Luca, anything else that that really needs to be highlighted? I also thought Guerrero's performance was was pretty good, but I, I feel like it was cohesively so, so good that it's hard to, you know, pick pick particular players out i thought the the only player that wasn't up to his usual self was maybe paco alcasa against his former side yeah there, there were a few layoffs that weren't great but he also he he still looks like fitter than he did he did last season and that's It's going to be good in a few games <laughs> yeah and um there were still a few good layoffs and then Royce or whoever else kind of misplaced the pass here and there. The offensive players kind of fell off in comparison with the defensive uh, six, I would say. Um, because they, they all did great, basically. Akanji with the first match, he didn't have like a mistake in that led to a chance. 
and uh, Guerrero basically whenever he's fit and whenever he's played he's he's just an amazing footballer and hopefully he'll extend his contract soon and then we just have to make him either sell it and or two and he'll be good but uh, yeah the defensive six um, Witzel, Delaney the smaller Hummels also <laughs> another amazing amazing game from him um, and then just the front four weren't like as great. Like Matthias said, I didn't also didn't really notice Hazard was playing. Um, Royce not great in front of the goal other than that, better than lately, but also not great. Sancho didn't really have those moments in this game or not as many of them. And like you said, Alcacer struggled a bit. And then Brunt came on and almost scored the goal of the season. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, other than that also not that much from him yeah that's that that sums it up quite well actually um and then of course uh Lucien Favre only used two out of out of his three substitutions bringing on Brandt and then Brun Larsen and that means R Rip Götze Rip yeah, Götze yeah this 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 discussion about Mario Götze is just uh, going on forever now uh, I don't think he has played against Union Did he play against Cologne? I can't remember. Uh, he played in one. He played in one match, but I don't remember which one. Well, that that would be the Augsburg game then. Um, hmm. I think the total of minutes he has gotten now is twenty three out of a possible seven hundred and twenty. So, um, yeah. Or, no, I think six hundred thirty. I don't. I don't know. Um, I wonder why he didn't extend his contract. Yeah, But. yeah, it's it's uh, absolutely baffling. No, obviously Mario Götze uh, right now has zero incentive to either extend his contract or or do anything right now. Um, Lucien Favre is basically when when he's asked about it, he says that last season Götze also didn't play at first, and then Pua Pua played more and more until he played a lot in in the end. I don't know um, if if that would even translate to the next season because it's a completely different uh you know setting <laughs> so yeah but but we'll see i think it's it's quite sad because um in in such a game i think Götze could make a difference especially after royce got tired in in the end uh you know it, it might help to to bring him on uh matthias any uh final final words on that game before we can move over to the Frankfurt preview? No, I think uh, the only thing missing was a goal, unfortunately. You know, I mean, Inter and Slavia Prague drawing, which definitely wasn't, and nobody could really bet on. Uh, this would have been a great opportunity to create some serious room between yourself and Barcelona and, and Inter. So it was an opportunity missed, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I would agree. So, um, yeah, I, I guess that then nicely wraps up our uh, analysis of the Leverkusen and the Barcelona game. Um, you both have to leave now which means uh, it's just going to me and Brian for, for the next preview. So, um, Matthias, thanks for coming on. Please uh, give us your prediction for Sunday's game and then tell listeners how to find you on Twitter. Uh, well, you can find me on Twitter at Matthias Suk. Uh, and I think Dortmund are going to win this one 2-0. Uh, Very well. Luca, same for you. 
uh, on Twitter at Vierdekirch. I think it'll be traditionally difficult in Frankfurt and I'll go for a 2-2 draw. All right, that is uh, very well. I'm actually going for a 2-1 win for Dortmund. Uh, I'm leaning myself out of the window, <laughs> as we would say in German. Anywho, so uh, yeah, again, thanks to you two for coming on and uh, hopefully until next week. And I will now return with Brian to discuss Frank. And Brian Sanders from the Hey Eintracht Frankfurt podcast. Hello, Brian. How are you doing? Uh, hello, and welcome to uh, the Yellow Wall podcast, where you will suddenly hear less about BVB and more about Eintracht Frankfurt. I'm doing very well, Stefan, uh, despite uh, both of our results uh, midweek in Europe. I'm still very positively uh, minded, but then again, I am American after all. <laughs> Well, I don't know if being American and positively minded go hand in hand currently, but uh, I'll leave that one for others to decide. Um, so yeah, you, you are obviously uh, the host of the Eintracht Frankfurt, po uh, Hey Eintracht Frankfurt podcast. Uh, before we get into it, do you mind telling our listeners uh, how long you guys been around and uh, where you are coming from? Oh, yeah. So, uh, weirdly enough, it was on this very podcast when I was interviewed by uh, Jason Rose, a former kind of frequent uh, member of the podcast. He interviewed me many years ago, uh, kind of previewing Eintracht versus Bayfall Bay in the same sort of setting as today. Uh, and I had actually spoken with well, one uh, American-based German and one American uh, who also had a great love of the Eintracht. And I thought, you know what? Why the heck is it that there is no podcast covering the Eintracht in English? We have uh, a great podcast uh, that covers the Eintracht if you speak German, which uh, my, my fluency is not uh, as good as it should be. And I said, you know what? I have always wanted to host my own show. Uh, and why not talk about the Eintracht? And so, <laughs> hey, Eintracht Frankfurt was born after a couple of so, really. So, so you just you just needed the subject to talk about. You always wanted to have a podcast. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it is. Yeah, so yeah, so self-centered and everything. But yeah, I wanted to talk about the Eintracht. I wanted to make it a show about for the fans, you know, by a fan, not someone who might be, you know, producing it from uh, the club necessarily. And I got a couple people together. We create, have now created a podcast that has uh, been out for over a hundred episodes. So kudos to us therein. But yeah, we just love the Eintracht and uh, we have found that there are a lot of people who speak the English language exclusively that also love the Eintracht as well. So uh, that is how I'm, Hey Eintracht Frankfurt was born. And uh, yeah, that's that's our, that's the story of the only English language podcast coming to Eintracht Frankfurt. Exciting. Um, I'm always glad that there are more other English Bundesliga podcasts around. So uh, for people who want to find out more 
about the Antracht, the can go listener, as you just described. For now, though, um, we have to talk about Sunday's match. Borussia Dortmund traveled to Eintracht Frankfurt am Main. And uh, it will be a very exciting match. Uh, I I think I'm I'm saying nothing controversial when I say that the away <laughs> match at Frankfurt is one of my favorite to visit because uh, the Commerzbank Arena is just one of the best in the Bundesliga and especially in recent years when uh, since Eintracht improved a little bit, the, the atmosphere has improved as well and I think the whole club just took it to another notch in the last two, three seasons. I would totally agree. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm very excited about that and a bit disappointed that I can't personally be there. Um, Dortmund's record in the in the recent games against Frankfurt isn't the best, obviously, but uh, only only from your point of view as a BVB fan. If you are an Eintracht fan, uh, there's nothing but positivity to say. Yeah, I I think we can agree on that. But uh, <laughs> all that doesn't matter. It all goes out of the window because it's a whole clean mm-hmm. slate of 90 minutes to play for. But of course, there was a lot of turmoil in the summer. Frankfurt have lost the so-called Büffelherde. Which is, of course, Ante Rebic, Sebastian Aller, and Luka Jovic. Yeah, the th- the th- we I love to call them the three buffaloes. Losing them, uh, whilst tough, uh, the rest of the Eintracht squad really has stayed intact. And yes, it is kind of hard to uh, to replace uh, three players who are able to got to create such offense. You do have the rest of the club uh, kind of. If you go player by player, everyone has been attached to the club with few exceptions uh, since the beginning, uh, since uh, the middle part of the Nico Kovac era uh, at Eintracht, not at uh, FC Bay, as uh, he now is currently at. But a lot of there's a lot of uh, players who've been a part and have and know each other, and whilst a different strategy is in place under Adi Hutter. Uh, the cons- the the players being familiar with themselves is, I would say, uh, something that is now a strength for the Eintracht. Whereas, if you look at previous regimes that were leading the Eintracht, the constant change in coach, the constant uh, change in players, there was no uh, consistency. There was no real long-term squad togetherness, and I think that is definitely different nowadays. Yeah, it's true. I think uh, pretty much everyone laughed at Freddy Bobic when he came over to join Eintracht Frankfurt from VfB Stuttgart, where uh, things weren't going well for him. But uh, as we can safely say by now, it's more about VfB Stuttgart being an absolute disaster club than Eintracht Frankfurt, because I think he has done an amazing job and, and turned the club around quite significantly. And everything seems to be on, on very solid foundations now. So... um. A couple of questions before we really talk about the game. First of all, um, how do you think Frankfurt have managed to compensate that Buffalo hurt that scored, I think, 57 out of 79 goals last season in all competitions? Yeah, the percentage of goals scored by the three exiting players who brought in a rather tidy sum for the Eintracht, needless to say. Um was yes a lot of goal productivity a lot of key actions on the pitch because Sebastian Nalea was more than just a goal scorer obviously he was a man who really was able to bring the score like the man had more assists than anyone else on the pitch and is something that the Eintracht will kind of smart from losing but 
uh, Ali Hutter and Freddie Bowich have both kind of come to the understanding that, hey, look, the Eintracht, when you don't qualify for the Champions League, which could possibly keep one, if not two, of the of the three Buffaloes uh, together, you have to be able to be flexible in terms of changing uh, your style of play. So uh, Paciencia is a Eintracht uh, striker who has uh, been playing now a year under uh, the Hutter regime and actually has been performing quite well and has been able to be a great facilitator. Um, add him with Bastos, who's just been uh, added on, and you have a uh, striker who is able to get goals. You put him in the right spot and goals will come. Whilst not exactly like-for-like like replacements, uh, I would say that the Eintracht is in a good position to allow themselves, especially with playing in a much easier Europa League campaign, to be able to kind of develop the squad to kind of push uh, onwards and upwards, as they say. I personally think that uh, the additions, especially at, at the forward positions, have been really, really savvy. Um, obviously, it doesn't uh, gel right away. I think that's a given, but it's it's a very strong side, and we have seen in in the recent games that Eintracht A still play a very energetic and intense brand, and and B create a lot of chances. Um, maybe they don't finish them that way yet, but I I think uh, the precision that that's required will will come with time, and the timing will only improve. So um, I'm not really concerned about Eintracht Frankfurt. Um, obviously, Frankfurt also added Sebastian Rode from Dortmund, which um, yeah was already a, a very well-working loan last season. Um, and, and Rode is back at his best, I would say. So it's really good. Um, quickly, I mean, we've already talked about it a bit last season with uh, Sebastian Rode or Bastian Rode from the Eintracht Frankfurt podcast, but that was very early in the beginning, uh, very early in the season. Sorry, I'm a little bit distracted right now because the Patriots just released Antonio Brown. <laughs> not that we didn't see, but not that us as a gentleman based in the United States did not see that coming. But, you know, yeah, yeah, uh, <laughs> still so, so, so very interesting. Anyway, back to uh, Adi Hütter. I wanted to ask you um, how he has turned Frankfurt. I don't want to say around, but I, I still think there there was an evolution under him, and uh, I personally liked it better than what Nico Kovac did at Frankfurt. Indeed. So uh, Nico Kovac, uh, to kind of go to what he was able to utilize, he was very much a more hard nosed, hard playing, exemplifies more uh, what kind of a player that he was. But he was never able to make uh, Ravich. Alea and Jovic click all at once. What Huta was able to do, and something that you could see from uh, the young boy squad that has uh, come um, after uh, him, uh, he was there for quite a few years, consistently finishing second before he got into the promised land of the Swiss title, of which uh, his successor, I'm not sure who that was, uh, was has been able to repeat. Um, he played a very attacking uh, style, able to utilize the assets that he had and kind of realize, hey, you know what? Um, I want to play in a free-flowing attacking style. I don't have the assets to be able to do that in the kind of players that he had on hand. And he was able to adapt to what he had. Case in point is the beginning of the Eintracht season last year, whilst Eintracht 
was able to pick up a win against Freiburg and then the next three matches in the Bundesliga, in addition to the Pokal, uh, Eintracht had four losses. And then as the matches came along, he was able to get uh, his message across to the players and they were able to execute uh, his attacking philosophy that made Eintracht such an attractive team to watch, even if you are Bundesliga neutral, which I am uh, obviously not. Yeah, yeah, no, I I agree. I I like to tune in when Eintracht Frankfurt plays because you know something will happen either in one or the other direction. Um, sadly, yesterday it uh, didn't work out so well for Frankfurt because they lost three nothing to Arsenal. If you watch the match, we did not look as bad as the scoreline uh, exemplified. And if you really want only want to watch the most positive things from the Eintracht Arsenal match, just watch the pre-match choreography. You can't get much better than that. Yeah, I sadly missed it, and uh, I, I still have to 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 see it. But uh, usually, Frankfurt choreographed TFOs are amazing. So, um, looking forward to taking a look rather sooner than later. Um, but in in the Bundesliga, Frankfurt have now um, <laughs> been not on such a great run. Um, they have lost against RB Leipzig, then beat. Fortuna Düsseldorf and then uh, lost again to FC Augsburg, a team that uh, other teams have beaten quite significantly so far this season, um, at least on the first match day. So um, can you maybe talk a little bit about Frankfurt's form and what their struggles are and what, what is already going well for them? Happy to. Uh, I should put a ca little tiny caveat out there. Leipzig is not an easy team to play <laughs> against and as... I mean, if anyone watched uh, Leipzig versus München uh, at the last weekend, you kind of got to see two teams, really top-end teams, kind of going at it. And Eintracht really just, they just played up against Timo Werner. There was not, uh, and that's kind of how that result went, and that boy has been on fire, needless to say. Uh, the loss to FC Augsburg, there was a lot of rotation in the squad, and the lead-up to the Arsenal match, wanting to kind of, for the home fans, in such a kind of hope high-profile uh, sort of match, you definitely wanted to kind of put your best foot forward in terms of uh, Europa League group. Well, that didn't actually pan out as planned. But if you look at the way that Eintracht had played, if you watch the match, uh, one goal for Augsburg was just, It was, it was just a great goal by Niederlechner, and you know, you're not going to find much better goals over the course of the Bundesliga season other than that. Take that away. Okay, you have a 1-1 result, and Eintracht had vast more possession, vastly more shots. Eintracht was piling on the heat. They just weren't unable to execute there in the first half. They got a goal in the second half. I'm not really as disappointed by that because Augsburg is this eternal, how should I say, uh, bogey team that always happens when uh, these two teams meet. It almost doesn't matter uh, what sort of form anyone is in. It just, the book goes out the window and Augsburg typically wins. Yeah, yeah. I, I know that sort of feeling Dortmund have also these boogie teams. I, I think actually Frankfurt away has been one of these fixtures, if we're uh, completely honest, for Dortmund uh, <laughs> that, that wasn't going all too well. Are there any significant injuries right now that uh, Frankfurt have? 
Um, there are uh, there's tiny little niggles that are here and there. Uh, Fido Kostic uh, was very uh, questionable kind of injury concern uh, when it was in the lead up to the Arsenal match. He seemed to get through the match just fine. But one of the most exciting players that has been on the pitch so far in this Eintracht season. Um, for me, I think it's more of a question of how the team kind of lays out, considering the fact that they had such a high-octane sort of match, kind of like Befo Bays and midweek. Both teams coming off a European excursion, and it's not necessarily the injuries that are a concern, unlike other teams in the Bundesliga. Uh, who uh, BVB has yet to play against? Yeah, it might just be that this game starts very slow and and very uh, sloppily, just because uh, you know both teams had this European game, and especially for Frankfurt, it's going to be a bit more difficult because Dortmund actually had two days more rest. Um, for for the Dortmund fans, obviously, I should mention um, that Jaden Sancho, who left the Westfalen Stadion limping after the game on Tuesday will be fit to play. Lukas Piszczek uh, is also, well, not 100% declared fit yet, but Favre was at least positive, uh, while Nico Schulz is still out with a partly torn tarsal ligament. And uh, Matteo Moret, the other right back, is also um, still not entirely fit after his dislocated shoulder injury is keeping him out for about two months or so. Uh, but he at least returned to team training this week. But uh, I think he got injured in a friendly against St. Gallen, which means uh, he has missed a couple of months. And so, uh, yeah, he won't be back all too quickly, but I also don't expect him in the squad right now anyway. So uh, all that being said, um, we can probably expect Dortmund to play with a similar lineup that played against Barcelona just because uh, Favre doesn't have the need to rotate with no midweeks fixture after Sunday. So, um, yeah, I would expect maybe Julian Brandt to be back in the starting lineup if necessary. I don't know about that, but, uh, yeah, this is basically what uh, Dortmund fans can expect. A very similar lineup with Guerrero and Hakimi as the fullbacks again, Hummels Akanji in the middle, and then I assume it's going to be Delaney again next to Witzel just because Dortmund will need that... Uh, yeah, muscle in midfield because we all know that uh, Eintracht Frankfurt have a lot of uh, strong players in the middle of the park and you will have to counter that and I don't have the confidence right now in Julian Weigel to do that comfortably, especially when things get a little bit messy. So I like to have Delaney in there and I assume Lucien Favre would do the same. So yeah, that's that's what I expect fr from the game. Um do you think Frankfurt will be lot on the back foot or do you think this will be more of a helter-skelter uh, chaotic game? I think it's going to be a game of... Uh, the, well, let's, let's put it this way. The first 10 minutes, no team will be able to really kind of... They'll be kind of poking and probing uh, going on in the first 10 minutes. I think that the Eintracht will then look to see... Uh, one of three things. If BFB is looking to exploit with speedy wingers, 
uh, Eintracht will just get more compact, uh, draw the team in and just say, okay, try and puncture us. We know one thing that we have, we have speed of our own in the attacking third that can then uh, be just thrown out there. I'm thinking specifically of Gasinovich, who would be able to, with his own pace, be able to run straight right back at uh, the Bayfell Bay defense. And then you have the likes of uh, maybe Bastos uh, being kept for the second half, playing off of the bench. Uh, you got uh, Deche Kamada, who, after a year spent in Belgium, has really turned into a fantastic player. Uh, I, w- I would say he is probably one of the mo- more unknowns for most uh, Bayfell Bay fans who have followed the Eintracht just a tiny bit. And I, Paciencia was a big frame, but also pretty good passing skills. Uh, the Eintracht will be definitely, after 10 minutes in, be going into a full open and flowing sort of attack. Uh, you Primarily when it does come down to our wing play, which we can kind of attack you guys right back at you. Um, the Costa will be a man utilized. It's a question of whether they'll have uh, Kostic or Chandler on the left. Uh, but Eintracht will be able to go toe-to-toe, almost like as though it's an old-fashioned heavyweight boxing match, and it's going to be more of a question of uh, which attack, which attacking team's defense is the one that is best able to, as they say, hold firm. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's pretty well put. Um, I, I think there will be a lot of uh, danger coming on, on both, or on all four wings, if you want to put it this way. Um especially with Guerrero and Hakimi who are not the best defensively or rather just put it this way just have more focus on on the attack right now so um yeah that's that's how it's going to look i assume that Dortmund will be a little bit better going through the middle although as you just mentioned Kamada is a, a player that is really at home in the half space and can do a lot of things work there however i feel like his final product the, the final pass from kamada is not as good as it as it needs to be to create more chances so um yeah we'll have to wait and see how how he does against dortmund and of course i'm looking at marco royce always when dortmund play against frankfurt because he usually has a very good game against them marco royce is few players that I am scared of more in terms of the Bundesliga out there. Uh, one thing that I am uh, becoming more and more uh, scared of is Jaden Sancho, but the fact of the matter is uh, I do believe in this, that the Eintracht do have their stylish wingbacks that might be able to, now they're not the most defensively minded at times, but they do have the speed and technical analysis to be able to realize, okay, I need to play off an, an extra foot back to be able to make sure that I neutralize Jaden Sancho and his abilities. When he does, uh, when the boy does have a little bit of space, he will uh, take that inch and make a whole bunch more room. And unless you are a good defender and have the speed to counter, he can uh, open up space. And we've already seen that multiple times this year. Yeah, definitely. Especially, I I assume Sancho will go up against Hinteregger, um, who has been very prolific recently. Oh, he'll just knock. If, he, if those two go up against each other, what's more than likely going to happen is Jaden Sancho bumps up against uh, the Hinti, and uh, Jaden will just fall on his uh, fall on his uh, bum and just wonder what just happened because he ran into a brick wall. 
Yeah, that's something that happened to Christian Pulisic uh, quite frequently uh, over the <laughs> previous seasons, not only against Hinteregger and... Uh, Uh, but but in general against Frankfurt, I always have this image of uh, Pulisic sitting down and, and raising his arms in frustration against Frankfurt. So um, yeah, this is uh, something Dortmund fans have to look out for, and especially Jaden Sancho, who I think hasn't played too well recently, even though he has uh, at least um, provided a lot of assists and, and also goals. So um, yeah, even if he has a bad game, that's uh, I guess upside about Jaden Sancho he can provide. As, as we already discussed in the previous part. Um, I have one question, however. Um, do you think that Dominic Kaur will play again, or do you think that he will be replaced by Sebastian Rode? Uh, for me, um, actually, I think it is going to be Gerson Fernandes who would actually replace uh, Kaur. I think that Kaur needs to cool off uh, in the, after kind of showing him out to... Let's put it this way. Uh, he had a little bit of fire underneath him, and I usually don't mind that so long as you act, for, you know, are responsible for your actions. And I think that he just needs to uh, sit down on the bench, sit him, uh, stay there for at least one more match uh, so that he can think clearly because all he has to do is just rewatch that. And it was so painfully obvious that he was just being played. Uh, during the entire match versus Arsenal, and guess what? He's now suspended for the next Europa League match uh, because of it. So, yeah, I'm I'm not the biggest Dominic fan, if I'm brutally honest. I don't know why Frankfurt needed to sign him. I would have opted for another player, but uh, yeah, uh, may- maybe he still has a good game against Dortmund if he plays. I don't know. I think he had a couple of good games be- before against them for some reason unbeknownst to me. So who knows? Anywho, um, I'm pretty much out of things to say. I also don't want to drag it out artificially. If you have any more thoughts on this game on Sunday, uh, please be my guest. You can ramble as long as you want, but uh, if not, we can also wrap it up. Well, then, uh, closing thoughts for me when it does come to Eintracht Frankfurt versus Bayfell Bay. If anyone has any hesitations on, you know, do I want to watch this? Do I want to watch it on replay? Go out to your local pub. Watch this with some Bayfell Bay friends or even make some Eintracht friends because we are actually very friendly if you're really bothering to know us. <laughs> um, look, this is going to be an end-to-end match that a neutral always can look forward to because if there's anything that exemplifies what the Bundesliga is, it's all uh, free-flowing attacking football. That's exactly what you're going to have here. And uh, to put my prediction out there because I know that is uh, your next question – Uh, aside from uh, where you can follow Hey Eintracht Frankfurt podcast on Twitter, uh, that would have to be a two-to-one victory for the Eintracht. But then again, I'm a person of a positive nature. Yeah, yeah, I, I predicted a two-one win for Dortmund earlier. Um, so, but yeah, uh, since you already know the drill, you can I can now lean back and you can do the rest of the talk. <laughs> yes. Uh, for anyone who w- wants to follow me, you can uh follow my writings. I write. Uh, weekly uh, wrap-up of the Bundesliga for Prost America, uh, P-R-O-S-T-A-M-E-R-I-K-A.com. My weekly kind of roundup of the Bundesliga can be found there. But primarily, talking about the Eintracht, you can follow the Hey Eintracht Frankfurt podcast that is at H-E-F-Pod on Twitter. And, of course, we got a, a... links to our Facebook and, of course, links to our, our SoundCloud 
uh, account that has all the most recent uh, episodes of the podcast now over 100 episodes strong. Woo! Yeah, that's amazing. Nice to uh, have have that such momentum going. How many years? Is uh, it is now two and a half years. Uh, two two Pokal finals, one of which didn't turn out so well. The other one did. <clears throat> I wonder who that uh, one was against and the other one was against. Just kind of wondering out loud. But uh, yeah, <laughs> it's been a great run and we hope to uh, do more and more over the upcoming years. We love talking to other people in the Bundesliga, of which you can also find Stefan uh, on the latest episode of Hey Eintracht Frankfurt. So uh, come have a listen to that. Yes, I will now uh, make the transition to the Eintracht Frankfurt podcast and will be the guest so um, if you really feel like listening to me for another half hour or hour or however long it's going to be, feel free. Uh, I would recommend everyone to tune in anyway, just because I assume there will be even more knowledge dropped on Eintracht Frankfurt, uh, something you will definitely not ever get enough of. So yeah, Brian. Uh, And most, most importantly, beer recommendations, should you be a need for the, your next great beer to sample <laughs> all right uh yes that's of course as always the most important thing anywho brian thanks for coming on um it was a blast i hope the game will be too and uh <laughs> i hope i can edit out the uh fire trucks and ambulances as as good as possible if uh, people still have heard something from it uh, my bad but yeah <laughs> no worries anyway no that's, worries that's all from us for this week you can find me on twitter at stefan Butzko. if you want to get in touch with the entire yellow wall pod crew use the twitter handle on facebook handle at yellow wall pod you can subscribe to the show on itunes stitcher soundcloud now also on spotify and uh, another announcement for everyone out there of course uh youtube also is new and please uh, if If you are wondering why your podcast isn't updating in your regular podcatcher, if you use it uh, via Android, that's because I've uh, updated it. So please do it yourself. You can find the uh, RSS feed on our homepage, which is theyellowwall.net. And if you want to have access to our written content, go there and then uh, you can find all the ways to put in one buck for the Patreon subscription a month where you can then read all the news, interviews, press conferences and stuff like that and a couple of features here and there so that would be very much appreciated anywho as always everyone out there thank you for listening until next week goodbye